We are over the moon. We are finally joined once again. The restraints are lifted. The restrictions are lifted. Formerly of TQE, formerly of FTN, now with the Fantasy Pros, Derek Taysom Hill Lover. (laughs) How you doing? Damn, shots fired. We're not even two seconds into this show. You've already put down Cody. You've already sit here and called me out. Like, it's been good to be back, Kev. I'm just waiting for you to call me a fucking moron in the next sentence, man. Let's go, baby. Hey, that's what I that's what that's what we do. Keep it real here. And I expect <laughs> nothing to say from anybody else. You gotta call me it's out. It's good to be back, man. He holds and I feel like I have back. the best two people to do that between Robbie and Debro that I have the most arguments with. So this this show should go excellent. <laughs> Hey, it's what you get. It's what you get when you and I are on the same show. We mix in some deep, bro. I, we might have three opinions on one player. Who knows? I mean, look, if you can't sit here and disagree and you can't have open conversations about it, th- then then what are we doing out here? Like, you don't have to be hugging. You don't have to be hand-holding. Walido, what's up? Like, you, you don't have to sit here and be happy about stuff. We can have constructive conversations. We can fight verbally, and it's all good, man. Like... People need to hear that. You hear too many shows out there where everybody's like, well, yeah, I could see that point of view. Um, but, you know, I, I, I agree with you. No, it's okay to be like, no. you wh- What? Like, I, I don't know what the hell you're talking about. Are you? Are we watching the same player? That's fine. It's totally fine to say. Yeah, I, I think you keep, basically we cut what you just said and we're going to add it in with some of these takes that are going to be coming in. We're all going to have our guy, I feel like, that we're higher on, that the other two don't see the same thing. And we're going to say, what? <laughs> what? Uh, absolutely. Uh, you know, and uh, I, I hate shows that are really bland and that it's all just kind of like a circle jerk of, of yes and we all love the same player and we all have the same take because nobody gets anything from that. You need constructive criticism, right? I mean, the very first time we had Ryan Williams on the show, very first time I had ever met him, 
very first time I called him a fucking idiot. Uh, I better take, but hey, it's all love, right? But look, look what's happened. Ryan's t- look now he's a fan duel. He's taking off. D bro, first time, you know, it's it's like a chef's kiss for me. You know, if I call you an idiot, you know, it's like a chef's kiss. You know, you know you're, you're doing something right, man. I mean, that's that's the badge <laughs> of love there. It's like if Kev is nice to you the whole show, you're probably never coming back on TFA ever again. <laughs> Truth. That is true. It's true. So, anyways, okay. So let's let's give the people what they, what they came here for. Let's go ahead and tell everybody why Brees Hall is the best running back in this class. It is <laughs> not even close. The one on one. Do we need to talk about anything else with Brees Hall, or can we keep it moving? Um, that he's not my RB one. You want to start there? See, th- there we go. Right off the bat, we have disagreement. Okay, you, we want to start there. Debra, there. I want you to see, I, I, I tried to not, you know, we have a little DM chat. We have with some of the boys, you know, we've had a little conversation about it, but I didn't want to go too deep because I want to have this conversation here. I want you to tell me why Brees Hall is not the one one So, um, I'll, I'll, I'll do you one better. I'm going to make you state you the case of also why Kenneth Walker needs to be the RB one here. Um, and a lot of that comes down to, yes, Brees Hall is a really good running back. I'm not going to dispute that with anybody. That 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 That's not what I come away with. It's not that I hate Brees Hall. But the way that Brees wins, he's a breakaway run guy. Um, yes, he does have missed tackles for us, and he's up near the top of that. But I look at that as a volume stat. If you look at Brees Hall over his three years at Iowa State, his yards after contact per attempt dropped in every single season. So... Is that a function? Now, the offensive line was not great at Ohio State. Like, I'm on Iowa State. Like, they were not great at all. I'm not going to sit here and sugarcoat that. But when I look at Brees, I don't see the same short area agility as I do with Kenneth Walker. I know his burst scores in his combine was fantastic. So was Kenneth Walker's. The reason I lean with Kenneth Walker over Brees Hall is, one, his ability to create for himself. You look at yards after contact per attempt. He dwarfs Brees Hall, uh, 4.27 to 3.22. You look at 10-plus yard runs, Kenneth Walker, again, dwarfs him. 16.7% of his runs were 10 yards or more. Brees Hall, 14.2%. They have the same exact breakaway run rate over their collegiate careers. The only difference is Brees Hall had more yards. And so the, the... I think that Kenneth Walker is a better pure runner than Brees Hall. Same type of athleticism, same type of straight line speed, because they tested near like damn what and what as far as the 40 and stuff. The other thing about it is that like, and everybody, so the next point that everybody goes to with Brees Hall and they say, it's the pass game usage. He's, he's awesome in the pass game. That puts him over Kenneth Walker. And the reason that I put Kenneth Walker over Brees Hall is I don't think Brees Hall is as amazing in the passing game as everybody else says he is. He got a lot of targets, but if you look at his yards per route run, it was not fantastic in any single season. His pass protection is bad. It's not, it is legit bad. His PFF grades and pass protection are not good. His pass, his, his pass protection snaps went down every single year at Iowa State. Now, could that have been a function also of them wanting to get him more involved in the passing game? He's not saying to pass block. He's running routes. That could be the case because his routes went up all three seasons too. But this is all to say that I think Kenneth Walker, per the numbers and the film, 
is a better pure rusher, and I don't think that their pass game usage, although people want to point to it, outside of volume stats, that they are that far apart. And I think Kenneth Walker, at the end of the day, and I do have concerns about his pass protection because the guy, like half of his reps, he's trying to uh, cut block somebody and he's putting his head down and he's going to get a quarterback destroyed doing that shit. But there are also reps in his pass protection over the three years where he is good and he stands up and he'll stand people up. So I think that he has that in his bag of tricks. So this is all to say, I'm going to put a bow on this. Kenneth Walker is a better rushing talent and I'm going to put my eggs in that basket, and I don't think that they are that far apart outside of counting stats as far as their pass game abilities. Yeah, I'll, I'll jump in there real quick because I think a lot of what you say is is, is probably echoed by the, the quote-unquote consensus, right? I, I think when, when a lot of people have watched and compared both of these guys' tapes, you can tell that, one, I think they're both really, really good runners. But you can tell that that Kenneth Walker, it just comes a little bit more smooth to him. I mean, I put here in a game against Northwestern, he teleports laterally. Like, it is just so smooth that it is um, – he, he's here today, gone tomorrow, uh, left to right. And and I, and I have that in there, that he is just the best pure runner if we're talking about handoff up the middle, handoff, find the hole. Um, I have that as well. I think where I, I push back a little bit is that I do think um, – I do think Brees Hall is a better pass catcher and has shown it. Now, I agree with you. He is not, uh, if we want to compare, you know, the Iowa State running backs because it's super easy to, he's not the, the David Montgomery pass catcher that we saw coming out, but he's a more complete back um, all the way around. So while we are projecting a little bit with Kenneth Walker in terms of the pass catching, he can do it. It was very limited. I'm not saying he can't, but I think it's really important for, for seeing if the NFL teams will put him in that situation, which we've kind of seen it go both ways, right? We've seen Josh Jacobs who did it a lot at Alabama. Then they don't do it with him for the first two years. And then all of a sudden year three, he does with the Raiders. And, and we've seen it the, the, the flip side where they did it a lot and they're not asked to do it um, at, at the NFL level. So, I think that's the one thing where I'm going to have Brees a little bit higher is that the the slight downgrade that I take for him as a runner is not the the same of saying, hey, he's not coming off the field. His floor is so high. I know I'm hitting with him. Now, if I hit the home run or if I hit the double, I know I'm hitting. Whereas Ken Walker, you're like, yeah, there could be a chance for a single if that passing game does not translate, right? So that's that's where I'll just have the the separate. And again, we talk about the, having the good arguments. That's where I'll come on, on the Brees side. So I'll also, and I, w- I want to mention this with Brees. If you watch his runs, he I, he's 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 what I call a runway back. Like he needs to his second level agility and his acceleration is fantastic. But if you catch him in the backfield, or if he has to jump jump cut in the backfield, there's a lot of times where he loses momentum or he slows down whenever he goes to jump cut somebody in the backfield. Like when he's in the hole and he has to jump jump cut or make somebody miss, you see him lose some of that speed and acceleration. Kenneth Walker, that dude will juke somebody out of his damn shoes. There is one one game, and, I, and I'm blanking on who they exactly was playing. Maybe it was Northwestern. It was... I think it was Miami. Legit, one of the linebackers met him in the backfield, and he sidesteps the dude, jumps, cuts the guy, and leaves him in the damn dust. And I'm sitting here watching that, and so I was like, holy shit. Like, wow. And there's there's not a lot of runs outside of Brees' straight line speed and him getting into the second level and just taking off and being gone, where I'm like, 
if he goes to a team with and and I know Iowa State did not have a, a good offensive line, but they did a better job of getting him into space with their zone scheme than um than than Michigan State did for Kenneth Walker. Kenneth Walker had to create a lot more in his run scheme than even Brees did. Brees is one of those players, and people are going to hate the comp that I have for Brees. I know the hate's coming, and and I I, I really don't care, but. The, the running back, because everybody has these, like, insane comps for Brees Hall. Like, they're like, ah, oh, he's Jonathan Taylor. He's Saquon Barkley. Like, holy shit. Like, really? Like, we're not even playing range of outcomes. Like, automatically, he's just, like, a, an otherworldly talent. I'm I like... Heard Zeke, I heard Zeke Elliott the other day, so we're, we're, we're all over. Well, I, well I I'm going to throw I, a little I think bit... That comes from that, that comes from, like, player profile, right? Like, like that is those are his comps. But those are, but those are athletically... Uh, where, where those cops come from, you know? So like where he just, and he does, I mean, he tests athletically to those guys. I mean, he has a 97th percentile 40 he has a uh, 97th percentile speed score, a 94th percentile burst score. Like that's exactly what you see on the Jonathan Taylor and the Saquon Barkley uh, profiles. I mean, if you go to their play, their, their pages, that's exactly what they have. I mean, so I think when some of that comes like that's that, that's where that comes athletically. And I think for a lot of people that surprised people because people weren't expecting that for him to be that athletic and for him just to go mm-hmm. in and, and just destroy yep. the combine the way he did. Yep. And we're, I mean, we're starting to hear now. I mean, there's starting to be rumors. And I, I kind of expected, and I kind of had a feeling that he's going to go in the first round, like, uh, and that he's going to go back after the first round. And it's probably going to happen. And uh, some team, so, but really what it comes down to is the landing spot. Where does he go? And, uh, you know, mm-hmm. does a team trade up into the first, in the back half of the first round, like the Falcons and take them, you know, and something like that. If it's an elite landing spot, then I, I, it, to me, then yes, it, he is no doubt without a question. He's the, he's the one-on-one, but if he goes to like a, a, an average landing spot and Kenneth Walker goes to a better landing spot, then yeah, I think you should be higher on Kenneth Walker, right? It's kind of the Najee Harris effect last year, right? You had to like Najee Harris more last year because he went to Pittsburgh. Me and Debro, for sure. I, I don't remember Robbie if you were, but uh, we were definitely higher on Javante Williams, and it didn't Love matter, Javante. right? I'm still higher on Javante Williams than Najee Harris, but for that one year, at least, especially even for just redraft purposes, you had to be higher on Najee because of the landing spot. He was going to get the opportunity that was locked in, baked in, hundred percent. And so, some of this is going to matter on where these guys land. But for me, with Brees Hall, it's just he is the total package. He he produced every year he was at Iowa State. This is Iowa State. This isn't you know this isn't Ohio State. If he was at Alabama producing like this or Ohio State, you know one of the you know, the blue chip blue blood uh, colleges, then I, I think people would be even more higher on him than they are. But he played at Iowa State. Not, nobody cares about Iowa State. And they weren't even that Iowa great State. this last year, right? Like kept to your right. point, right? They they weren't even like the, the top team in the Big Twelve, right? They're they're sitting there kind of in the middle upper upper tier, but they weren't the Baylor. They weren't the Oklahoma. Right. And so I, for me, like, but with Kenneth Walker, he has one year of production. I mean, you go back to, to Wake Forest where he transferred. I mean, he had what, 500 yards. He did have 13 touchdowns a sophomore year, 579 his, his freshman year. Uh, was And again, like we talked about, never been involved as a pass catcher, which again, I have said multiple times, I'm not really all that concerned about the fact that he wasn't. I think it's something to keep in mind, but I don't think that means he can never be a pass catcher. Same story we heard about Leonard Fournette when he was coming out was he's not a pass catcher. He's just he's just a between the tackles guy. Well, now obviously you know we've seen as the years gone on, he has become more and more involved in being a pass catcher. You don't have to be Christian McCaffrey or somebody that should go line up in the slot or you know out wide. You know that you don't have to be that to be able to get forty or fifty targets. You know in the NFL, and so I don't knock Kenneth Walker as much as that. 
for me, it's just that he is such a complete back in terms of Reese Hall. That's really hard to find a lot of stuff that, that, that you can say negatively about him, where I think Kenneth Walker is more of a one year. That doesn't mean that he can't. Javante Williams was very similar in that way as well. Uh, I think these two are the top <laughs> for me for sure. And then there's oh, everybody yeah. else. Uh, but where I, I, other people have tried to uh, put Isaiah Spiller into the conversation, mm-hmm. I don't think he belongs in the conversation mm-hmm. with them two. I think it's them two and then the rest. Yep. I, I don't disagree. I, I look at them, and that's honestly like if you're in Dynasty rookie drafts, like I want a top five pick to try to get a running back, or I'm just kind of punting the damn position because there's so many players that I loved. Um, and once they tested, I was like, oh, shit. Well, okay. Well, that's not going to happen. Like, how many guys can we sit here and talk? And we're going to get into some of these guys, but like how many guys can we sit here and like, you need two hands to name them where you're like, okay, small school or he had production or his numbers look good and they run a four, six or their burst is like, there's so like, there's legit like five guys that all ran like four sixes or had terrible testing metrics. And you were like, okay, um, well, damn it. And it sounds like the NFL doesn't like them as much as Dynasty Twitter does. You know, so it's like, I want to either get Brees Hall or Kenneth Walker, or I'm probably just going to lean into the wide receiver position and say, well, I'll just figure out running back. I'm going to just, like, you know, figure it out during the year. Some guys are going to get hurt, and I'll figure that out in Dynasty. You know, then I'm not going to worry about that. Because a lot of these other guys, they're either not going to get the draft capital, because if you look at hit rates over the last 10 years, Basically, all this boils down to is you got to get drafted in the top three rounds or you're you're almost an outlier if you don't um, to be a really good running back in fantasy. Top 24, top 12. Past that, the hit rates just drop poof off a table if you go outside the top three rounds. Um, one other thing that I'd like to bring up about Kenneth Walker is he did not have the volume over his three years in college. But this is, again, where I come back to the efficiency metrics. And if you look at his efficiency metrics, they're damn good, man. Like, I love the fact that Kenneth Walker said, screw y'all, I'm transferring, I'm betting on myself because I can be that kind of guy. Because if you look at his efficiency metrics, when even when he was back at Wake Forest, his yearly yards after contact per attempt, 4.46, 3.83, 4.32. And those are all fantastic. And just to give a little bit of context, Every single one of those years was better than any year that Brees Hall put up. Right. And, and I think that's a really good stat. Obviously, this last year, it was him and Bijan that are trading places for, for, for most broken tackles, yardage after the contact, right? Mm-hmm. And and I think that translates, again, I talked about, not, not to go back to Dave Montgomery, but like that was his winning trait, right? His ability to create, break tackles, uh, uh, continue on yards after contact. So while I say that, I love that that trait, and that's, that's one of his winning traits, it, it doesn't necessarily translate to say, hey, this is going to be make you a, a running back one, right? We, we've seen it and as a David Montgomery guy. <laughs> that's how I prop him up. But I understand that David Montgomery Well, the isn't... pushback on that is David Montgomery doesn't have the the athleticism to take take advantage of. Sure. Take advantage of when he does break a tackle. His athleticism knocks him down like he breaks a tackle and he gets two to three yards. Sure. Whereas you have upper tier echelon athletes like a Nick Chubb that can break a tackle and then he busts off for 15 yards. Kenneth Walker has that type of athleticism. A lot of these other running backs, including David Montgomery and all these running backs in this class, don't have that. Like they break a tackle and 
they're getting two to three yards after the fact because they just don't have that in their bag of tricks where they can accelerate after the tackle. And so it's like, and I talked to Kev about this off air and we're, we're talking about missed tackles forced and stuff like that. That that's also a volume stat. Like missed tackles sure. force is a massive volume stat. It's like talking about guys where they get a lot of yak. Well, if you don't get enough targets or people point to like fantasy points for targets, well, that's touchdowns. Like there's a lot of these stats too. It's like the missed tackles force guys, that are up near the top are also the guys that got 250 carries, 270 carries. You're not going to see a guy down uh, up there at the very top in missed tackles force that got only 160 carries. Like right. as good as Zamir White is and, and other running backs like that, you're not going to see him up near the top of those leaderboards because he didn't get the volume to sit here and do that. Yeah, no, that's a great point. I think when we're looking at a lot of these stats, because we're throwing out a lot of stats and maybe some of the listeners might not know, hey, where where mm-hmm. these stats are found and whatnot, and, and we can touch on that. But I think the one thing to know when you are looking at stats, look at your per touch or, or when we get to wide receivers, your per catch or your per uh, route run. I think that's a really important stat that we can we can say for everybody listening is that don't look at the overall volume because volume can, can change from team to team, scheme to scheme, right, or year to year. But look at your per touch rate because that's the something that's going to show you growth and, sh- and and show you how you've progressed as a player. So I think that's a really good point you just brought up. Give me efficiency. If you show me efficiency, one that tells me you deserve more volume and you should be commanding more volume because you're super damn efficient on what volume you've been given. And number two, it shows that you're good. You know, yep. so give me the efficiency over a player that's racked up the volume and not done as much with the volume. Now there's a lot of other noise in there, like offensive lines and things like that, that running backs have to deal with, you know, so there, there is a lot of other extenuating factors for the running back position, but just straight up in a vacuum, give me efficiency and a lot of different players for a lot of different metrics. If they show you the efficiency, then they're either going to command the volume either in college or, or you find these guys that are outliers that command the more volume in the NFL than they ever did in college. Yeah, and I mean, when it, when it, I mean, when it comes to all these stats, yes, I mean, you can create a stat to fit whatever narrative that you're trying that, that mm-hmm. you're trying to get it to, right? Um, I mean, it happens a lot, and you're right. You know, just yards after contact it, it is 100% a volume stat, right? You should always be looking at the the per on per touch basis. That's going to give you a much more better idea of what they do, you know, on that per touch basis versus you know just looking straight at you know yards after contact or like you said, yak. You know, you should be yak per. Uh, um. So for me, when it comes to that, yes, uh, a lot of those things do matter. But at the end of the day, and, and even more so for running back, you know, is is king is volume, right? Is the landing spot is is where do these guys end up? And we can sit here and argue this all day, you know. But if Kenneth Walker ends up being in a really bad situation or a bad backfield, mm-hmm. you know, this this just changes everything uh, for this. So obviously, we're having this conversation pre-draft, and I think it is good to have a stand on these guys pre-draft uh, to kind of understand where these guys go and stuff like that because things change year to year, but. So, you know, we kind of talked about Kenneth Walker and Brees Hall, and those are kind of the top two guys. But there's a lot more running backs in this class. And I feel like once you really, especially once you get past Isaiah Spiller, there's a whole other conversation about where you have people because I think it's all over the place. Um, I can say for me personally, before we get to these other guys, that I have really tried to follow the Daniel Jeremiah's and like Marcus Mosier, all these guys who are very connected into the NFL that have uh, contacts with the teams and how the NFL feels about these guys, right? Because 
uh, you know, every year there seems to be a player that the, the fantasy Twitter, dynasty Twitter, NFL draft Twitter loves and then goes undrafted, you know, or goes in the seventh round. And people, and you see people on draft Twitter or dynasty Twitter, these guys are morons for not taking this guy that I love, <laughs> you know, and everything else. Like these guys are idiots. And I'm like, no, no, no. Or you're just an idiot. Like, like it doesn't. Kev, that's the same think. people that sit here and gripe about like, oh, he's slow and stuff like that. Where they sit on their couch and eating Funyuns. Like they're like, ah, that guy is four or five. He's really slow. <laughs> well, they're sitting here like, no, 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 no. True, true. So when it, when it comes to same vibe, I've, I've really tried to uh, adjust some of this stuff of what of what we've been hearing because one thing that I just heard the other day was. Right now, it looks like there's only going to be four running backs drafted in the top two rounds uh, of the NFL draft, which makes sense, right? It. But but yeah. one of them is one that I, that I was a little surprised about. Uh, I felt like maybe it would be a little bit lower, and that's Zamir White. It sounds like he is going to be a guy that goes in the first two rounds, or the first three, I should say. It's going to be the first three rounds, day two, the first two days of the draft. Yeah. Um, and Zamir White right now is looking like he's that guy, possibly Brian Robinson. And then the other guy that you know, fans Twitter loves, everybody loves, is Rashad White. And it sounds like the NFL is not high on Rashad White. They think he's just a guy. Like, you know, but mm-hmm. everybody, especially after the senior bowl, loved Rashad White, right? And, and raved about him. You look at his, his production, you know, his, his receiving usage uh, at Arizona State, all this stuff. And, but now it looks like, okay, actually, you know, you might, everyone might want to pump the brakes here because the NFL is not as high on your boy as everybody else thinks, right? So that's kind yep. of what I, how I've tried to adjust. So that being said, um, where are you at on, I guess, let's talk about Isaiah Spiller. We didn't really talk about much about him other than mm-hmm. that. But where where do you come in on him? Because he's obviously going to be a guy that's going to get drafted probably in the uh, day two pick. He, right now, um, and I've only watched like two two games for Isaiah Spiller, but he's in my second tier of runners, and it, it, it's literally just Isaiah Spiller and Zamir White um, for this tier two. And honestly, um I've only, and again, I've only watched like three games for Spiller. I've only watched three games for Zamir. I might end up flipping that, and Zamir might be my RB3. Um, And I understand, like, people. So here's the thing with Zamir White I look at Zamir White as the discount version of Kenneth Walker. Same concerns. People talk about, like, his his pass game usage. He was not used in the pass game, Um, he didn't get a lot of carries. It's like, what Georgia back have you ever seen in the last like five to ten years that's got any damn carries? Like, I like where where have you been, Boo Boo? Like, there's not a three hundred carry back coming out of Georgia. That's not the case. Like that wasn't the case with Nick Chubb and Sony Michelle and everybody else and their mama was there. Like it's not the case now. So I I don't really I don't care about that. The guy tested out of the damn gym and it shows up on film. Like. He's an explosive runner. He's got enough wiggle. He can get into the second level and he can break off a long run. And plus he went from a he went to a big school, so you know the top tier talent that he's playing against. And this is not just helmet scouting. It's like you put all of these different things together and the NFL is telling you that they're higher on him than Dynasty Twitter is. That the schmo on the couch sitting here eating Funyuns is telling you, man, I like Zamir White. Well, the NFL says, I like Zamir White, and he's gonna get draft capital. So yeah, if all those things are lining up, I like Zamir White. Um, and this is not to say I don't like Isaiah Spiller. I like Spiller. The problem with Spiller is that um, his numbers look good. That Spiller, for his size, was never a volume back for as big as he is. And I know I just stated this about Zamir White, and now I feel like I'm, I'm, I'm talking out both sides of my mouth. But the thing with, with Isaiah Spiller is 
His game, he looks like a volume back in the sense of like he's a rhythm back. He needs volume to get into a pace, into a rhythm. And when I watch Isaiah Spiller, the two things that jumped out to me were he needs to be in his own scheme because I don't think that he has the athleticism and he didn't test well. He's another one of these four, six guys. Um, I think he needs to be in his own scheme where he can he can press the hole and he can shoot through the gap and he's not asked to sit here and break off or try to get outside as much. Maybe more inside zone than outside. But with, with Isaiah Spiller, I see shades of David Montgomery in the sense that I don't think that – I think his athleticism is going to limit him at the next level more than some people believe. And I think that he is going to be a guy that needs that 20 carries to really pay off for you at the next level in fantasy. Um, so I, right now I could easily see like eventually I'm probably going to end up flipping or at least I think I will as far as Zamir White and Isaiah Spiller, but they're in the same tier for me and there's a lot of other guys that are below them, but I put them in the same tier that I, I think that they probably go back into the round two and the last time I looked at their expected draft positions um, on grinding the mocks, they were somewhere in the late second or early third. So I think they're going to get drafted in the same kind of realm. Yeah, I mean that, that's 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 pretty much how I could I too, and um, I I think then uh, once you get past those two, I think that's when you can really start having conversations. I think Brian Robinson, uh, main one reason he uh, because uh you know the helmet that he wears that he came from Alabama and the history of production that we've seen that Good has Lord. changed because. Three or four years ago, it was the opposite. It was don't draft a running back that comes from Alabama and, or don't mess with these guys because they, they, they fail. That has obviously changed. We've seen plenty of guys come out now. Mm-hmm. And I think that's going to help Brian Robinson uh, a little bit, but also more than it uh, should. A, uh, yes. And, but he was yep. a productive guy, yep. um, you know, at Alabama last year. But, you know, with all that being said, I, I think. To me, there are two guys that that I that I really like. One is no surprise to anybody. Well, really both of them because I've said it before. <laughs> but one, there's really a guy uh, that, that that I absolutely love. But let's first let's. I want to talk about Tyler Algier. Uh, he did not test. I mean, fantastic. But for a guy that's five eleven, two twenty four, um, you know, he did run a four six. He was another four six guy. But I mean, he still has uh, you know sixty fourth percentile speed score. Not great burst score, but. In terms of his uh, yards after contact per attempt, he was 10th last year. He was second in 2020 ahead of Javante uh, in that regard as well. Um, he was utilized as a pass catcher as well, 14 receptions in 2020, 28 in 2021. But I mean, it was never you know great production there, only 199 receiving yards last year. Um, but when it comes to him, he also had uh, 20 carries of 15-plus yards. But it was surprising for him because – it he by by everybody that that talked about him coming out that he was going to be an absolute freak of nature athlete that you know he was a former linebacker very much like Javante everybody was saying that all this stuff well he didn't test that way right I still don't think it's bad like he didn't test like you know like Kyron Williams is bad like and, and we'll, we'll talk about him but Kyron Williams is done like for in my mind like he could end up being a Theo Riddick that's his like ceiling to me right. And, and that's it. I, do you still see people on Dice Twitter trying to make him a thing and try to, you know, talk about him? Oh, why man. He's Austin Eckler and all this stuff. And I'm like, get out of here with that. Austin Eckler is almost 10 pounds heavier than he is anyway. But, you know, regardless of that. Um, they grasp for a UDFA outlier to sit here and justify it. It's like, okay, well, let me know how, how if you're going to make that bet consistently in Dynasty, 
Sure. Why don't you keep a running tally of how often that hits and let me know how your teams look. Right. And so, but with Tyler Algier, like, I, I feel like he could, it, depending on landing spot, could end up being somebody that in fantasy football that, that, that could end up being, he's probably never going to be, he's never going to be an RB1 or anything like that. But I think he's somebody that has the size the and the athleticism and the ability as a, a runner to be somebody um, that is more of a, uh, you know, a in-between-the-tackles grinder type. Yeah, yeah. For for me, and I wrote this down early, he was one guy that, that Christian Welch, TFA brethren here, was really high on, and, and he wanted me to jump on and watch some tape. And, you know, I watched him. I just – I didn't see the speed that everyone was talking about. Like, people were saying, you know, he's going to run a four three nine, and I'm like, yeah, I'm not <laughs> – I'm not seeing that. Mm-mm. He's 220. If this guy's running 439 and he's 220, he's not at BYU, guys. I'm just going to – he's not going to be a BYU running back. Like, that's going to be an anomaly. And, and so I didn't think that was going to happen, and it, it ends up not happening. But that said, I do think he has a, a role in the NFL. And the person that I wrote down – and I've actually heard this a couple other places, and I think it fits perfectly. He reminds me of a little bit quicker of an Alexander Madison. Like He's a guy that can deliver some pop. He has more wiggle than you think he, he should for his size. Um, good start stop ability. Like, I, I think that any any pass box, right? Like we talk about a lot of these players, we're gonna find that struggles with pass blocking, struggles with pass blocking, struggles with pass blocking. That's gonna be a consistent theme. And that's something that I think he he has some pop with it. He needs to obviously work on technique. I'd say 90% of running backs coming out of college do. Um, but yeah, like take away the speed that I didn't think he had, and I didn't rank him that way, you know. Uh, ahead of ahead of the combine i'm not lowering him because he didn't end up being this freak of nature athlete i still think he's 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 good and he's in kind of my my tier three um of, of these running backs and so i'm willing to take a shot on him but uh, again it's it's kind of finding that that where does he fit in well because if it weren't for dalvin cook's injury history i don't know if we know who alexander madison really is and it, he just happens to be in that situation where we've seen him come in uh, and, and produce really well so it, like you're saying kev where does he land? Does he get those opportunities to show that he, he can he can be a solid NFL running back? Not going to be, you know, your your top of the line guys, but he can be productive and give you good weeks for sure. I'm going to make um, Kev uh, tangle in all the different places when I throw this out here. When I watched Tyler Algier, and, and I'm going to back up what you said, Robbie. Um, I don't know what the hell people were watching if they thought he was going to be a four three guy. You see him get caught from behind. I'm not going to say consistently, but it happens often enough to where you're like, okay, maybe he's high four fives, probably a four six guy. Like that doesn't surprise me um, when you're seeing him getting caught from behind by linebackers in the open field and things like that. If you're four three, you're not getting caught by behind, from behind. That shit doesn't happen. Yep. Yep. Like. You don't see Kenneth Walker getting caught from behind in the open field. You do not see Brees Hall getting caught from behind in the open field. That doesn't happen. So anybody like looking at this and saying, well, you know, I mean, he said he was going to run a 4-3. If you've watched the same film that all of us watched and you thought he was going to run a 4-3, we must have been watching very, very different players. But I look at Tyler Algier, man, and I think I agree with you. I, I think he could be a volume back at the next level. What I worry about is draft capital. But if the stars align, man, I he doesn't have the same burst as this guy that I'm about to mention. But if he gets an opportunity, I do see some shades of James Robinson in his game, man. Tackle breaking, 
He's solid across the board. I think that he is going to play up and be a better pro than his testing numbers probably give us give us um, an idea about. Yeah, yeah. Go I'm ahead, all about that. No, no, I was going to say, I'm all about that. Go ahead. Yeah, I think the one thing that I'll say with draft capital, because I think that's going to be our theme, right? It's like the, 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 the statistics show that you have to be kind of this day two-ish pick to really have that, that hit rate be something that you want to invest in, right? Mm-hmm. There's going to be a ton of examples. We'll go over them, you know, the Ecklers, the Robinsons, you know, there's going to be guys. But for, for your consistency, right, it's the draft capital. What I want to mention, though, is I, I do think we're starting to see with the running back sliding less in the first and towards the end of the first, early second. I think that slide also happens later in the draft, right? Like we saw Michael, Michael Carter, right? He's kind of that early fourth. That was a position where I was like, you know what? I know that it's the fourth. It's day three. But I think with Javante sliding into the second, we saw Akers, the, you know, the class before. How many, how many Jonathan Taylor, like how many running backs went in the second round that are legitimately top running backs right now uh, in the NFL? They all slid to the second, which just kind of pushes back everybody else. I think I'm okay with that day three capital if we're talking early fourth. And I just want to yeah. have that quick conversation because mm-hmm. I don't want people to listen and say, Oh, day three, we're done with them. I, I think we've slid now into the day three. If it's the right type of back, I'm not out on him. That's a fantastic point. And I don't, I don't disagree with you. I think the second round is the new first round. I think that you're looking at all these different guys and I, and I don't disagree with, because I was massive on Michael Carter and I was fighting that fight all year. And now I'm sitting here talking about draft capital, but I also think that Michael Carter was a good different, like it was a different case in the sense that like, you are you, you had a team that legit their philosophy and they came from another organization like Sala, all that entire coaching staff. A lot of them came from San Francisco. Them investing a fourth round pick was actually high considering if you looked at like the history of all the running backs. So everybody's like, ah, it's only the fourth round. It's like outside of that, what what other running backs have you seen them like take? That Trey high Sermon. in any draft. Oh man. Why Trey, Trey Ser- Sermon? Why? Trey Sermon, Trey Sermon still hurts me. I don't know what he did to piss off Kyle Shanahan, but but I, I still I'm hold on to Trey Sermon and Dynasty because even when he was given volume last year, he didn't look bad. It's the the thing about it is like everybody wants to shit on him because he didn't get the opportunity and Elijah Mitchell just totally cucked him. Like, you know, that's really the thing. Because it, it wasn't, he had one game where he got over 15 touches and he almost put up 90 rushing yards. And the offensive line at that point of the year was playing terrible. So, but anyway, this is not a Trey Sherman show. But be, like, but. this is all to say, like, I, I, I agree with you. I think that we need to also understand the the running backs don't matter um, idea and that running backs are sliding in the draft and that, you know, a lot of these running backs, like the second round is the prime capital. You should be gobbling up guys that go second round in the NFL draft. If they go second round in the NFL draft, they're going to get early opportunity. All these guys are going to get early opportunity. I don't care if they land into a spot where you perceive that maybe maybe it's crowded. If he gets drafted in the second damn round, he's going to get work. Even if it's a situation like Javante Williams last year where they split the backfield straight down the middle. If the dude's a baller... All that means is that, like, you're having to wait another year, possibly. But second round is is absolute damn money. 
I, I, I completely agree with that. And I think that we're going to start to see more and more as the years go by. You're going to start seeing more and more hits in the later, in the in day three guys, uh, where it's not so much of a outlier for these guys, where it's going to start to be a little bit more of a norm because running backs mm-hmm. aren't just being invested in anymore. I mean, we're seeing less and less. We're more and more. And I think teams are just continue to see it. You see Zeke Elliott now, just the wheels falling off of him, and he's 26 years old. Like, teams are just going to stop investing in running backs uh, altogether in terms of, you know, the second contract. So you're going to start to see more and more of these guys that are going to go later and later because teams just don't really care about the running back position like they used to. You know, this isn't the 1990s anymore or the early 2000s, just not. And so I think you're going to start to see more of that. So instead of, I think a lot, a lot of people write these guys off, well, if you're not a day two guy, day one or day two guy, I'm done with you. You're, you're dead to me. I think on some level that that's going to be a little bit of a mistake. I'm not saying that you should just full on also believe that if a guy's a fifth or sixth round pick, that he's 100% going to be a thing because it's not. Mm-hmm. But um, I, I think instead of just writing some of those guys off, I think you can have a little bit more faith in them. Um, and so I guess let's keep it moving. I want to talk to you about somebody that I hold very near to my heart that I feel like it has gotten slighted through this process. Um, he is a, a little bit on the smaller size, 5'8", 197. But I don't think that's a death nail. Uh, there are running backs in the league that are his size. But in terms of production, he was uh, – should have won the Doe uh, Do Campbell Award winner. Should have. He uh, 1,600 rushing yards or 1,600 yards, 54 catches last year. Absolutely ag- uh, ag- excellent in the passing game. Uh, tested well at the combine. Um, had a had a 43.9% college dominator. Uh, you know, did not take over until you know this his senior year. But that's Tyler Beatty. And I have been high. This is not surprising to anybody that, that is. Uh, that, that has been around these parts of the last couple of months. I have been pounding the table for Tyler Beatty, but I love Tyler Beatty. Okay. I'm just going to, you know, I keep telling everybody, but what do you, what are your thoughts about Tyler Beatty? I like Tyler Beatty for all the reasons you stated, Kev. Like, I mean, really the biggest thing and the knock on Tyler Beatty, and it's not a knock from me, but it's a knock from the NFL is the size. I mean, that that's really what it comes down to, man. Like, and I think that he is a productive player. He's really talented. I think that he could be a three-down back. The, the problem is, like, is a team going to give him the chance? Um, will I take shots on him late in Dynasty rookie drafts? Yes, because I, I, I think the talent is there. I mean, he's shown it in his collegiate career. Um, and, and, and look, I, does it make a whole lot of sense for the NFL to say, Okay, if you're 200 pounds, we're going to give you a lot of work. If you're 195, we're not. No, I I don't disagree. But still the fact remains, like, last year out of all the running backs in the NFL, the only running back in the NFL that was less than 200 pounds that got over 150 touches was Miles Gaskin. That's it. End of list. Period. You know, and it's not to say that, like... What's Austin that? Austin Eckler is 200 even, I'm pretty sure. But he's 199. He could I be. Mean, who knows what he is now, but I think... Well, and who knows what he is now. I mean, like, yeah. that's the other thing. Like, we don't get updated weight measurements right. and all this kind of stuff right. off of players. You know, like, they'll talk about, okay, when players lose weight and stuff. Like, Le'Veon Bell cuts 20 pounds from when he was in college. And, oh, my God, now he's actually, like, he can run. You know, we don't get that kind of stuff where it's updated, where we get measurements on some of these guys, or you see videos of James Conner and he looks like he's rocked up to hell and back. You know, you don't get all these updated measurements as these guys progress through their careers. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's it's definitely a conversation. I, I Look, talent-wise, 
not going to push back about Tyler Beatty. I think the talent's there. I think, like, when I watched him at Senior Bowl, you see him, he's explosive. He can catch the ball. He was good in one-on-one drills. He was beating linebackers in coverage. You know, I've got, I've, I don't have a cross thing to say about him. For me, it just comes down to size and draft capital. I mean, I'll, I'll take shots on him in rookie drafts and stuff like that. Um, but, you know, is he a guy that I'll necessarily prioritize? He, he falls into a mix of a few different guys, and there's one guy we're going to talk about, or at least I'm going to make sure that I bring up on this show because um, he tested really well at the Combine, and mm-hmm. um, I'm talking about discount versions of players. If you like Kenneth Walker, the discount version is Zamir White. If you like Brees Hall, here's another Pierce guy Strong. that I think that, hmm? Is Damn right. Oh, yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yeah, we're yes, sir. Be it's all Pierre Strong. Yeah, let's let's talk him in just a second, real quick with Beatty. You know, I, I think why Beatty's such a fun watch is because you know what he does well, and he knocks out of the park. Right? He is mm-hmm. there uh, and gone. He his burst, he gets downhill so quick. Um, you know, he's a fantastic pass catcher. His production off the chart, obviously. Um, what's going to hold him back for me, Kev, is just the the size and the lack of, of functional strength and pass pro and uh, running inside, right? He's going to have to be in this outside zone scheme where he's getting outside work, pass catching work, which makes him probably a committee back one. And then if he can't pass protect, he's probably not going to be um, somebody that coaches rely on early, right? That's going to have to be something that is developed or he's going to be the uh, Dion Lewis. You're, you're, you're flushing out, flushing out each play. So, I like Tyler Bate. I like what he does well. I just know that I'm not going to put him above some of these other guys that I can project that are going to be on the field a quicker, have better draft capital, and just be better all around backs. But regardless, what Tyler Bate does, and let me say this because I don't think we've said it, he plays with a mean streak for his size. Like he's 197, but he gives some pop uh, on some plays. So hard runner for his size. Um, I actually do like his contact melt. It's just what you want for, for your back is not being, you know, not being that size and not being able to pass protect. That's going to be something that worries coaches. And if you don't get that draft capital, which I don't think he's going to get, when does he see the field? How often? Never going to be a three down back. That's, that's kind of why I have him down there uh, a little bit lower. So uh, like the player, just not the complete player. Right. Well, all right. No, I, I agree. And he's probably not going to get the draft capital that I'm going to have to, but you know, I'm always going to TB team TB right here. Uh, and that's not Tom Brady. Um, so let's go ahead and let's, let's talk about Pierre strong because uh, I mean, he obviously blew up the combine. Uh, he was somebody that I feel like after his combine, people were like, Oh, okay. Okay. All right. You know, and all of a sudden you of course start hearing a lot of, Oh, that's the next Eliza Mitchell. Um, you know, comps and stuff like that because, you know, Elijah Mitchell, you know, had a really fast 40 and all the same stuff that, you know, a lot like Pierre Strong. Um, however, it's going to be interesting where he goes and where teams value him mm-hmm. uh, because I think when people really just, you know, we know who Pierre Strong was coming out, right? Like, he wasn't somebody that I think a few weeks ago or before pre-draft, you know, people aren't watching South Dakota State. Okay. And so people aren't paying attention to who Pierre Strong is. And so, but yeah, I mean, crush at 43740, uh, 113.5 speed score, which is 95th percentile, 75th percentile burst, um, 1,600 rushing yards last year, 18 touchdowns. But again, you're going to get the people that are going to say, oh, well, that was at South Dakota State. Like, who cares what his, his, what his production was, blah, blah, blah. Right. But um, I, I do think at his size, 5'11, 207, he is 23 years old. 
But I think he is a very exciting prospect. Um, 30 carries at 15 plus yards, which is uh, right there with Kenneth Walker. Uh, exactly what Kenneth Walker did. And obviously, difference in, in competition. But still, I think Pierre Strong, depending on where he goes, could end up being a very sneaky guy that uh, I think it's for the normal, you know, probably especially your redraft guys, stuff like that. People aren't really paying attention to who this guy is, uh, that that uh, you should be keeping on your uh, on your radar. Man, if he ends up somewhere like... If he ends up with somewhere like Miami, dude, I'm going to love it because Chase Edmonds is basically on a one-year deal. I know they gave him a two-year deal, but the money falls off. Raheem Mostert, for as much as I am a Raheem truther, he's on a one-year deal. Man, I I, I really love Pierre Strong. And the other thing that you got to love about Pierre Strong is not only the testing numbers, but we we talked about Brees Hall, and we talked about from the word go – Brees Hall was productive in college. That was Pierre Strong, baby. The first year at South Dakota State, he ran for 9.5 yards per carry. And I understand the competition. I get all that. He put up 5.16 yards after contact per attempt. That is on Javante Williams type of level of that type of, of efficiency per carry. Now, I know uh, Javante did that at UNC. I, I, I get all that, people. I, I, I understand it. But you look at like what he did year after year after year. He was productive from a young age. He tested out of the damn gym. He's the size that you want for a three down back. He's shown you in college that he can catch passes and he has breakaway speed. Like you talked about the the runs of 15 or more yards. You look at his breakaway run rate was 54.3% last year. That was awesome. Like, when I talk about, literally, when you watch Pierre Strong on tape and you look at his numbers and you put these things side by side, he's legit like the discount version of Brees Hall, both in Dynasty rookie drafts in the NFL. Look at their athletic measurables. Look at their efficiency. I understand the differences in competition, but, I mean, the guy's done nothing but been super damn productive. And I, I'm going to be interested, and I, I don't care if he goes in the fifth or sixth round. He's not going to be expensive when you go into Dynasty rookie drafts. He's just not, because I don't think that he's going to go high in the NFL draft. But he's a guy that I'm going to be stashing on every damn taxi squad that I possibly can. You know, you know, I wonder if he does go a little bit higher than, than what this you know FCS-level player I should. I hope he does. Because I, I, do. I, I do think people value – we always talk about how much the 40 matters, right? Well, it wasn't just the 40. It was the broad jump, which was top, if I remember right, or one of the top. Um, it was his vertical, which was upper echelon, right? Um, so we, when, when you watch his tape, you know, you, I put, dude, is fast. He's shifty. He's running away from people. He returns kicks. He's got fluid speed, right? You're writing all this stuff, and then you're like, wait, wait, let's hold back. That's against uh, – you know, it's against UC Davis. That's against this team, NDSU, which is, you know, no slots. We're talking FCS teams. But you see that backed up by the athleticism at the combine where everything's level, right? It's a level playing field. He's he's showing his athleticism versus everybody else. And so while you can knock maybe some of those, you know, breakaway rates because the safety's taking a bad angle or whatever, like l- let's just give the benefit of the doubt. Where let's knock some of that down, which, which to be fair, you probably can. He's still a, a top tier athlete in this class, right? He is he is up there with the best of them, and so you add that with with his ability, um, 
and I just think that he's just the, the the guy that you can get excited about. You know, you brought up the name Raheem Mostert, and I know that doesn't get anybody super excited, but imagine Raheem Mostert doesn't get hurt three times uh, for, for the 49ers and stays healthy. He's a super quick guy, gets the ball, gets downhill quick, can deliver the pop when he, when he needs to. If you imagine a healthy Raheem Mostert, you're like, that's a guy I want on my team. He produces every time. He, he can catch the football. Now, the, the knock with Pierre Strong that a lot of people will say is he, he doesn't always uh, break tackles right. He, he kind of goes down on first hit sometimes. That's that's a fair knock. And his pass pro, like most of these backs, needs work. So I'll get those two knocks. And, hey, if we're talking up the player, let's talk about some of the downsides. Those are two knocks that's going to keep him you know, out of the, the upper echelon of – of these running backs. But if you're talking about a tier three running back that I want to take a shot on, I have him at the top of my list for tier three guys, because if we're matching him up against some of these other guys that are going later, he has what I want. in a guy that's going to be a good athlete can produce, can score from anywhere. You know, it, it's just, it's just like we say upside so much, but like, I feel like this is a player where you're like, it's there, right? If, if, if it, if it's going to happen, it's going to happen to this type of player. I mean, I think that you have to believe that at least some of these NFL teams perk their ears up when they see the guy come into the combine. And we, we've seen clips of teams in draft rooms, the war rooms and stuff like that. What was it? Uh, was it Cooper Cup? Um, and, and there's a few other players where, like, we see GMs and they're watching players uh, test at the combine. They're saying, please run slow. Please run slow. I don't give a shit what he runs. Please run slow. you got to know that there are some GMs out there that are saying, damn it, he ran a 4-3. Well, shit. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm sure it is, you know, uh, with that. I mean, yeah. Well, 100%. And, and just going back to the small school stuff, right? You brought up Cooper Cup, another small school guy. SDSU has produced guys, right? Like we're talking about uh, Dallas Goddard is a second round guy. Um, they're playing competition. That's NDSU where, where we have people coming out, right? We obviously had Trey Lance. And so Christian Watson's going to be you know, a day two guy. So like, I just want to note that that when we're talking about guys that are at smaller schools, I don't want people to be like, yeah, but he didn't play against anybody. It's like, there's, there's playing against nobodies and there's playing against like the top of the FCS that can hang with, I don't know, at least the bottom third of the FCS. Like there, there, there is a level where these guys are getting draft capital. One, Carson Wentz, Trey Lance, Dallas Goddard, Christian Watson's going to get it. And then there's also, they are playing the upper echelon, which could, you know what I'm, you guys go on saying like, I, I understand well, that it's not across the board, but. I think what you're getting at Robbie and, the, and I think it's a really good point that, that not, NFL teams don't always get it right. Colleges don't always get it right. Like how many like guys go to small schools and it's like, we don't know all like sometimes their, their backstories, life circumstances, things like that. When they played high school, where they played at high school, how good their high school coaches were at getting them seen by any colleges or scouts or anybody, you know? So it's like colleges get this shit wrong. Just like NFL teams do. Both of them do. There's, there's, there's a ton of players that come from small schools. Jalen Tolbert balled out at the freaking senior bowl. He's going to go in the top three to four rounds of the NFL draft. There's a slew of dudes every year, and the NFL is littered with them that come from small schools. And just because they come from small schools, Kenneth Walker was a three-star prospect. And we're talking about he's going to be a second-round draft pick. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, just because they go to small schools and things like that doesn't mean that we should just totally knock these guys for all these things. When they tested their good athletes, they went to these small schools. And if you see guys that go to small schools, if they go to a small school, you want to see them just 
crush it. Like, they're dominators through the damn roof. They're productive from an early age. If they go to a small school and they show you that, okay, well, I'm at a small school. Okay, well, here's a level of competition. And I look like I'm damn Hercules on the field. Or I look like I'm freaking Sonic the Hedgehog and I'm running past dudes. And then I test as a good athlete. Like, they're doing every single thing they can against the competition that they have. Then they prove the athleticism to you whenever they're in underwear and the stopwatch is going. What else do you want? Like, the guy is checking as many boxes as he possibly can considering his circumstances at college, which we don't... Some of these guys, maybe they didn't go to a good school because their grades weren't great. Whatever. We don't get previewed to all of this different stuff that can explain some of the circumstances of why these guys go to the schools that they go to. Or maybe they went to a, just a really like small school high school or some shit. Or they didn't start playing high school football until their junior year or something. You know? And I'm not trying to explain all this stuff away, but this is all to say that when you have small school guys and you see the guys that go on and they are productive NFL players, they were ballers at whatever small school they went to, and they were the dude. Pierre Strong's checked that box. Jalen Tolbert's checked that box. Christian Watson has checked that box. Other guys that come from small schools, that's the box that you want checked, and all these guys have done that. No, for sure, and that, that is exactly what you should be looking for. I mean, I would be more concerned if a player, you know, wasn't very good, uh, you know, at an FCF's level. Uh, you know, that is not the case with Pierre Strong, so I definitely agree. And, you know, these guys get it wrong all the time. I mean, Patrick Mahomes was a three-star prospect. He wasn't recruited by Alabama and Georgia and, you know, the, the Ohio State. He was, he was uh, recruited by Texas Tech, Oklahoma State, Rice, Baylor, like, you know, those were the only schools, basically Texas schools were the only schools that recruited him. And now, you know, we know where that, that's gone, you know, and uh, how that's turned out for him. So to think that uh, if, if you're not a, um, you know, if you don't come from Alabama, then you're going to have problems. I think that's ridiculous. So anyways, I, I agree. Uh, he's definitely checked probably pretty much every box. And I think now is really just going to be where he lands. Uh, I think there's some other low key landing spots for places. Seattle could be one uh, where, Houston. you know, uh, Houston could definitely be another one uh, that they're going to be probably a team that's still, you know, they're still rebuilding, but uh, you know, there's really, who do they have there? I think, I don't even know if Rex Burke fucking head is still there or not, but you know, who knows? Oh, they signed him to a contract extension, mm-hmm. dude. <laughs> yeah. Just terrible franchise. That seems really <laughs> awful. But anyways, my, my, my point is, 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 is I think there's still a lot of other landing spots that could be kind of secondary landing spots that maybe year one doesn't stand out to you, but could end up being a, a really solid spot uh, for, for a lot of these guys. So uh, it's going to mainly that's what it's going to come down to for a guy like Pierre Strong is, is where he lands. If it's a terrible spot, you know, if he goes to Pittsburgh, OK, now we're fucked, you know, unless uh, it's going to take an injury to, to Najee Harris or something to happen. Yeah, yeah. Can I, can I, mean, I throw out a really good low-key landing spot, and nobody's going to think of it because the guy that that's currently the starter is a baller. Uh, Minnesota. Mm-mm. That would be my say. If you look at this guy's contract, his age, and everything like that, and plus they're the incumbents behind him have absolutely and utterly disappointed. And this hurts my heart to say, dude. The Chargers are a really good low-key landing spot. Yeah, really good. Austin Eckler's contract, they can get out from under his contract in a year or two. Joshua Kelly, Roundtree, any of these other schmoes have not done anything. Like, seriously, we could see somebody land with the Chargers and split work with Austin Eckler, and then Austin Eckler's out the door in a year or so. And 
people could shit on that landing spot because of how good Eckler is right now and not look at like just even the short term of it. No, I, I, I 100% agree with that with that landing spot. And it would be somebody that actually is going to get to come in and get opportunity right out the gate. They're, they're not mm-hmm. going to be sitting back, and they're not going to be sitting behind somebody. that Because right. that, that's what they're looking for. They're looking for that guy that, that, that can, you know, he's not going to probably handle, you know, 60% of touches, but he's going to get 35 to 40% of touches out of that backfield because they're not trying to overload Austin Eckler. And so, yes, I mean, I think that's actually a great day one landing spot for a player, at least for, you know, probably where they're going to go because they're not likely going to draft a guy in the second round or anything like that. You know, so the guy that goes there, yes, I th- and they've been searching for it. You know, they're not investing heavy capital. You know, uh, Roundtree, Joshua Kelly, all these guys have been later round picks. But, you know, somebody like Pierre Strong, yeah, I mean, that could actually be end up being a, a great landing spot for somebody. Um, I said Minnesota because I think Dalvin Cook is uh, – he, his time in Minnesota and time in the NFL is drawing to a close. And so him, uh, all these running backs, him, uh, Ezekiel Elliott, all of these guys are probably going to be washed out of the league in the next uh, probably two years. Yeah. I mean, there's a whole different dynasty discussion on these age 26 and older running backs, Kamara, Zeke, Cook, CMC's right kind of there. Um, you, can, you can have Better a conversation. Job. Chubb, yep. You can have that Camaro. conversation because that's the class of 2017-ish, right? Zeke's 2016, but like that age is because how quick running backs go is now coming to the the point where it's like give them two years, maybe the youngest one three years, and you're going to have the replacements filling in right behind them. So that's why I think it's kind of important where we said at the very beginning, all of all of these running backs have to like the top two, two and a half, depending on who you're talking about. They have holes, right? They have, uh, you know, mob style just came in that you have an issue. You have an issue. You've got this. They all have that, but don't, don't just disregard them because it's the quote unquote weak class. Like I, I don't think that, I understand that this class does not have the 2020, you know, Dobbins, Taylor, Swift. I mean, I get that, right? But this class is probably no different from 2019 where we had Jacobs, Montgomery, and Sanders. And then you have a bunch of other guys, Singletary, and and little pockets where you like. I think this class can be like that. And if we're talking about uh, the – we can call it the boomer generation, right, that's about to phase out and there's going to be so many running back spots that need to be filled – there's going to be playing time. There's going to be injuries. There's going to be, you know, guys that move like Khalil Herbert was a guy that, that Kev was talking about and he goes to Chicago. We've got uh, Dave Montgomery, Tariq Cohen. We got, they signed Damian Williams. We don't even know if Montgomery is going to get the full workload, right? Let alone this Khalil Herbert guy that's fourth on the depth chart. Boom. He gives you three solid weeks because injury guy moves on guy gets hurt. Right? So running back is the position that, you know, outside your backup quarterback and super flex leagues, Running back is the one that can be the quickest turnaround to get you value. So if you're taking late round shots, I'm not doing it on the wide receivers or the tight ends quite as much. I'm doing it on the running backs and somebody that you know is going to be a backup quarterback and super flex. But let's for the running back conversation, backup running backs and, and third string running backs that don't look great right now can be money. Give up four or five weeks. We know. And there was I mean, I think like the 2017 class, I remember. There were a lot of people that hated that class, said that class wasn't very good. You basically had Leonard Fournette. Everybody knocked him because he wasn't a pass catcher. And you had Christian McCaffrey. Everybody said he was too small and that he wasn't built enough to be an in-between-the-tackles guy. He was only going to be a pass-catching running Mixing back. Mixing off the I field. Mean, it, it, it's, hard, it's hard to you know look back now and say that, but like that's those were the takes we were getting in 2017. You had Joe Mixon off the field issues. People weren't super high on Alvin Kamara. He was running behind uh, – who's the running back at Tennessee that he was running behind? Um uh, John Kelly. 
Dynasty Twitter love John Kelly. <laughs> yeah, and so yes, and so Kareem Hunt. You know what was it? we got a lot of people were, were, were valuing. You know James Conner came from that class. Uh, Aaron Jones, Austin Eckler, Chris Carson, all these running backs came from that class, right? Epic class. Saying, but heading into it, people hated that class. They said this class was not going to be very good. It, it, it's it's there's only maybe one or two guys in here, but the rest of the class is terrible. And that's one of probably one of the greatest running back classes we've ever seen in terms of, in terms of the guys that came out from it, right? And so I guess all my point is is that like yes, it's easy to to say that because that's kind of what the because it says oh this running back class is terrible. None of these guys are on the the level of even last year's class of Najee Harris or Javante Williams and stuff like that, right? Mm-hmm. But I think understanding who these guys are and and monitoring where they go, I think I think goes a long way because it's easy now to say, oh, this class is terrible, much like in 2017, and then all of a sudden, you know, the, the, the class burns your face off and, you know, now you feel like an idiot because you didn't invest in it. Yep. It's true. I mean, and there, there's so many different guys, and it, it, it's really that tier, that, that third tier of running backs that didn't test well, that really, really hurt. You know what I mean? Like, because there's so many guys that fall into this. Like, Tyler Edgier didn't test well. Brian Robinson, I wasn't very high on to begin with. Damian Pierce, I do like a lot. He didn't Talk test well. Him. You know, like, Sincere McCormick, I really wanted him to test well. He's uber productive from another small school, Cody's and he guy. didn't test well. Like, I, I love Sincere. I watched all of his film, and I was like, oh, shit. Like, I, I, I love this dude. And then he doesn't test well. There's a pocket of guys that did not test well. And, like, and now we're, we're like, oh, what's the draft capital going to look like? You know, like, how many different guys? The, all of those guys that Kev just rattled off from 2017 outside of Uncle Lynn. Chris Carson, what was he, like a fifth or sixth round pick? Austin Eckler was a UDFA. Like, there is so many different people on that list that Kev just rattled off off the top of his head that were did not have a lot of draft capital or none, you know? So it's it, it goes to show that, like, if you like the player and the the numbers and the film tells you one thing, but then they don't test well and maybe they don't get the draft capital – they're probably going to fall in dynasty rookie drafts and scoop them up, stash them on the taxi squad. You know, like there's not a lot of difference between any of these guys turning out to be the next Chris Carson turning out to be the next Austin Eckler, you know, like where do they hit the benchmarks? Okay. Their testing wasn't great, but Tyler Algier has the size to be a three down back. Sincere McCormick has the size to be a three down back. Pierre Strong has the size to be a three down back. So it's not to say that this couldn't happen. It's not in the range of outcomes. We're just talking about it's a little bit maybe less likely when we're looking at all these things from a lens before the NFL draft. And let's and let's Wayne, Wayne Gallman was Wayne Gallman is also in that class. And I remember <laughs> the a lot forgotten of like Wayne Gallman. And Everybody Wayne Gallman was, has been super productive at the NFL level whenever he's got an opportunity. Like he has he has been, you know, like I understand it's only been in very brief stretches when Barkley's been hurt, but that doesn't like in dynasty, that shit doesn't matter, dude. Like you can legit win a dynasty championship, like with the JD McKissicks of the world, the James Robinsons, these other running backs that if you're stockpiling all these backup running backs and late, late drafted guys, they still can hit the Elijah Mitchells of the damn world. Like, 
I know I'm rattling off all these outliers, but I mean, come on, guys. Like, the list is that damn long, and I'm only, like, parsed through a few of the names of it. Like, this happens every single year. You talked about Khalil Herbert. If you stashed Khalil Herbert on a damn taxi squad and you activated him, he he probably won you a few weeks. For sure. Yeah, and I think that's the that's the point I want to make sure we contextualize is that I don't want, I want to make sure people don't think we're talking out of our mouths both sides here because we talk about draft capital for half the show and now we're mm-hmm. talking about these outliers. I think what we're saying is that with your top picks, right, with your early picks, with these guys that you're going to be spending good capital on your first round, your early second round, maybe even your mid second round, those guys who need to be your 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 day two or earlier guys, right? But after that, and this is where I go back to my point, who do I want to take shots on? What value can automatically skyrocket up? It's running back and the backup quarterbacks and super flex. And so I think that's the point that, that we're trying to say is that, yes, draft capital matters. And that's why we want to take the the um, analytically safer prospects that, hey, hit rates are hit rates. And, and it's a fact that day two and above is – and we're going to throw in a little bit of day – or uh, round four as well, that, that we need that kind of capital for these early investments. Outside of that, we want you to take uh, shots on the guys that you like, uh, that we've talked about, you've researched, and you feel good about them. Maybe they were day three, but they're in a, in a quote-unquote bad situation. Injuries happen, things happen, and all of a sudden, boom, they're a starter. They're getting work. They're they're being productive for your team. And if you think you want to flip them, you can flip them for value, or you can ride them. You know what I'm saying? So I just wanted to have that quick little chat because I, w- I don't want us to feel like we're saying two things at once. No, and, and I want to build on that real real fast before we move on to whatever our next point is going to be. But this all comes down to the fact of in Dynasty, after the season is over, I go through every single one of my teams and I trim the fat. I cut off all the players that I'm like, okay, that's not going to happen. Maybe he was productive in the season and I used him as a, as a flex or whatever, but all he's going to be is a roster clogger probably for Dynasty. You go through and you cut off four or five of those different guys off of your roster and you take the shots on these late running backs, backup quarterbacks, things like that, that if if things fall their way, they're guys that in season, if they get an opportunity, can help you win like a Khalil Herbert and what have you. You know, it's like, okay, am I going to hold Laquan Treadwell on a roster even though he got re-signed by Jacksonville thinking he's going to actually help me coming up this season? No. Am I still holding on to the ghost of Albert Wilson or whoever else? No. You cut all those damn players, and then you pick up these rookies that you've done the homework on. They've been productive. Maybe they disappointed with draft capital. Maybe they disappointed with their testing numbers or what have you, but there's holes in their prospect profile. But if they get an opportunity, could they hit? Sure. Those are the people that you layer the back into your dynasty roster with, because if they hit, they get an opportunity, injuries happen, things like that. They're the guys that maybe are winning you weeks in season, or you're flipping for better capital. You know, you're picking these guys up up with the waiver wire that were undrafted in your dynasty rookie draft, and you flip them. Hell, it, not every trade has to be a damn home run. Like, not every trade in Dynasty for you to add equity to your roster needs to be, ah, I got this guy off the waiver wire and I sold him for a first. Ha, ah, look at me. You could sell guys off the waiver wire for a freaking third. It's fine. Like, that's an equity gain. It may not be as sexy as you wanted it to be, but it's still a win. Yeah, I, I think that's that's a good point. And I'll, I'll stand right now for going off of what you said for somebody who I think has 
um, been pushed down because he didn't test well. And Kev's already said he's off his board. Some guy that I'm going to target late because I, I did see the tape. I, I have seen a way that I think he can be successful. And I think it'll be an interesting conversation because I feel like maybe both of you think he's kind of dead and gone. But Kyron Williams is, is a guy that, yeah, the, the, the testing numbers were disappointing. But for someone who watched the, the the film, I think the thing that worries me is the weight more than the, than the testing. And so if we have worries with the weight for a, a Tyler Beatty or some of these other guys, uh, a running back who's 194, who pass protects extremely well, who pass catches really well, and I know that that's going to be the way he wins, and I'm not worried about him being an all-world athlete, kind of like a Deion Lewis role where we know that Deion Lewis had a couple years where he's – you know, a fantasy relevant guy, if I can get this Kyron Williams because he's dropped all the way to the late third round in dynasty uh, drafts, that's a guy that I'm taking shots on. And Kev, I didn't mean to kind of just jump in here, but I feel like we're kind of at the, uh, hey, what guys you want to take a shots on? Where are we at with our, our late round running backs? That's a guy that I think a lot of people are going to be fading because all you've heard is Kyron Williams disappoints. He's not an athlete. He didn't do this. He didn't do that. I would like to see pro day numbers. His pro day is tomorrow morning. I get it. We're going to have to hedge a little bit because pro day numbers don't always match up with combine. I get it. But um, that clock's going to be juiced a little bit. Just the prepare co- for the it. The clock Bobby. is going to be juiced a little bit. But um, I'm not really worried about it because I wrote down like he's not a breakaway runner. I have it written right here. He's not mm-hmm. a breakaway runner. He struggles to get to the edge sometimes. But he's one of your best pass protectors for his size, and he's one of the best pe- best pass catchers in this class. And if I'm looking at a guy later, I want to see winning traits. How do you see the field early? You don't fumble, you pass protect, and you can pass catch. Those are the three things that you need to see to be able to see the field early. And so you're telling me this guy gets a day three, and he's in a position where the guy in front of him uh, can't pass protect, and they give him a couple snaps on third down? I see, I see the route, right? Like I, I can see a, the Dion Lewis route. So uh, I understand that we said we're off of him on that, but we're talking about late round guys. We want to take a shot on. That's a guy that I'm fine. If people are, are fading on, I'm going to swoop him up for the, for the discount. You keep I, bringing I up Dion Lewis. Go ahead. Go ahead. Kat. Sorry. I, I was going to say, but I, I think there are other guys in this class that are probably going to get, that are going to be day three guys like Tyler. Yeah. Bain, we already talked about, right. Who's yep. more of an athlete. Um, Great pass catcher, right? Does a lot of things that he does. I think James Cook is a guy we haven't talked about on the smaller size. Now he is 5'11". I so think he's look- going to get draft capital too. He he, he has the opportunity to fill out his frame a little bit more and everything else, but he is 5'11", 199 is what he came in at, uh, I believe. And so, mm-hmm. like, there's these other guys that I feel like that I would just probably rather have. They're going to get similar probably draft capital. But I, I will say I think there is a possibility that Kyra Williams could go undrafted. Like, that, that that is in the range of possibility for him maybe Maybe. there is such a small list of guys if you look at players within his size and athleticism it it is a very small number of of guys that that have been able to make it at his size and without the athleticism like you have to crush right like and i don't care really what his pro day is because the combine is uh, you know is is the in terms of laser testing and everything else, be able to test this. Mm-hmm. We Not know sure those the pro times. days are juiced. We know that these guys at pro days, you have to add on, I think it's what, an extra half second or whatever it is to their times mm-hmm. or whatever it is. Um, and yeah, and so, because, because, yeah, because the pro days are, are juiced, right? So, but to me, it's going to come down to dra- now, if he gets drafted in the fourth round and, and he lands in a good spot, okay, I'm back in. You know, you, you, you got me in a spot where, okay, now I'm a little bit interested. Right at, at the very least, right because I think he can be a pass catcher. Like we, if he, he gets drafted in the back. fourth round, the team is telling you that they believe in him outside of the testing numbers. 
Right. Now right. maybe they're they could be right or they could be wrong, but the team is the two clearest pictures we get of what teams actually think outside of all of the other bullshit and coach speak. NFL free agency and the NFL draft. Period. So if a team actually drafts him yep. in the fourth round, they're they're screaming at you. We really like this dude. Right, and that, that's that's my because I think it's possible he could be Theo Riddick. Right, Theo Riddick wasn't a uh, you know that that's that's kind of his best case here, like I mentioned. Like that's probably his. He could best be case. J D. McKissick. He could be the guy that you pick, like like right. that catches a shit ton of passes or you know slower Naheem Hines. Like that that could happen. Like where he's viable in fantasy. Like that 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 absolutely could happen. Yeah. So, hey, Kev, uh, any guys other than Tyler Beatty who we've already talked about that that are kind of peaking your eye? I mean, we, we talked about James Cook. You know, James Cook, we briefly mentioned, and Brian Robinson, two big school guys that are probably going to be higher up, especially Brian Robinson in, in terms of the NFL's eyes. There are guys that I'm lower on, so that's why I haven't brought them up yet. But I do think we need to have the conversation about them because a lot of people have Brian Robinson as a top five back in their consensus rankings. And a lot of people have James Cook right there as well. Uh, Debro, it sounds like I, I, I hear some some sputtering there from you. I think those two are two guys that are worth talking about that I'm not high on, so I'll probably agree with what you're saying, but I just want to hear uh, a little quick discourse on those guys. James Cook is a guy that legit, like, he doesn't break a lot of tackles. He's mm. not, like, he, he tested better than I thought he was going to actually test. Um, I thought he was going to come in small. I think that's why he opted out of coming to the Senior Bowl because we had any other reason. Um, I think that he was going to come in small and I mean, James Cook is not one of the, I think he's going to be drafted. I think the NFL is going to like him and he's going to be drafted higher him and Brian Robinson. I think both these guys, both in the same bucket, um, they're both going to be drafted higher than I think they should be. Some of that is both of them went to SEC schools. Um, but just from a traits standpoint, <laughs> that's funny. Um, from a trait standpoint, I think James Cook is he's going to be pigeonholed into a certain role. I don't see um I don't see from a a trait standpoint anything that James Cook does that is going to give him a leg up on a lot of other running backs. Like there's not one or two traits like in his arsenal that you can really point to. Yeah, he caught a lot of he caught passes and stuff like that, but he's a catch and fall down guy. Like yeah. and he doesn't have there's legit like maybe like two runs out of the, like the three or four games I've watched on him right now where people are like, oh, well, he's Dalvin Cook's brother. There's like two runs or two plays where I saw that I'm like, oh, that's the lateral agility that his brother has in spades. Oh, there's a flash of it. Okay, cool. He, and then it goes he, away again. He's the younger that's, that's, brother that had the older brother fight all of his battles, and now he goes down with first contact. And that's what I think. I'm like, yeah, he's related to Dalvin Cook if Dalvin Cook was the physical brother that protected his younger brother and it just goes down on every single hit. Sorry. He's down and cook, but he didn't, he, he's basically, he's captain America, but he never got the serum. <laughs> that's well, well, not I bad. Mean, but that, that's, you hear people bring that up about him all the time. Like that's literally the thing everybody says about, Oh, he's Dalvin cook's brother. Dalvin and I think I maybe did. some of that, that's what people are getting caught up with him is because he is Dalvin cook's brother. Cause that's what everybody says. Like literally every time. Oh, Dalvin yep. Cook's brother. And I'm like, what yep. the fuck does that have to, that have to do with Nothing. anything of the conversation? Doesn't matter. Nothing. Doesn't it matters zero. Like, it, 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 who cares that, that he's Dalvin Cook's brother, right? That doesn't matter to me. So I, I do think, you know, in the right spot, you know, James Cook could be an interesting guy. But I also think Jerome Ford, I think you could say the same thing. Ah, I was going to bring him up. 
That's a good All call. Right. Well, I'm ready to transition. Yeah, I mean, I, I, he's, I thought he was going to test a little bit better than he did just because of what mm-hmm. he did in high school. Um, I think he ran was like a 10-5 verified 100-meter uh, dash uh-huh. or something like that. And so I thought he was I – mean, not that 4-4-6 at uh, 210 uh, is bad uh, by any means, but I just thought he was going to be a little bit more uh, But because the burst score is not great. Kev, as somebody who bet um, him as a, a long shot to run the fastest 40 amongst running backs, um, I, I did place that bet. Um, I agree with you. I thought he was going to run a lot faster than he did. And – you know, so so it is what it is. I mean, he still had 83rd percentile speed score. Uh, the, the 18th percentile burst score is not optimal. But regardless of that, he still had 1,300 yards this year, 21 catches, 20 touchdowns for Cincinnati. Um, so I, I think there's a lot to like with Jerome Ford. He's going to be another guy that I would be kind of interested to see. I think he's going to be a guy that's going to be overlooked by a lot of people. But I think there's a lot to like about his game. And it, he just seems to be the guy that's just kind of there. It's, oh, Jerome Ford. Okay, cool. You know, but I, I, I think that he is somebody that, that we could come away from this class that has an impact at, at the next level. I, I love that call. I mean, literally, like I wrote down my early tiers of rankings and he is the top of, of my tier four guys right now. Um, he he was going to. Can you go through yeah. those real quick? Yeah. Um, Walker and Hall are in tier one by themselves. Uh, Spiller and Zamir are tier two. The tier three guys, and I, I don't know if I'm going to keep um, my tier three guys are Damian Pierce, B Rob, Algier. Uh, Rashad White is in there, although I'm fully prepared that I'm going to have to probably drop him when he did he gets less draft capital. The one thing I will say about Rashad White is that I could see him because here's the thing: he tested better than I thought he was going to test. Um, I did not think he was going to run in the four fours. Uh, if you look at his film and stuff, I don't think that that's honestly how he wins. He's an upright runner. My comp for Rashad White was um, James Conner, but better in the passing game is the way I looked at him. I think that he can handle volume. I don't think he's going to be overly sexy, but I think he's going to be good in all phases to where he can, if he gets an opportunity, he can hold down a job. Um, but again, B-Rob's in that. He's near the bottom. And a lot of – the Brian, Brian Robinson is a guy that I, I, I really – I struggle with because I don't see it when I watch him. I think that he's a grinder back. I think he's just a jag. I, I like none of his numbers jump out to me. Um, it, it really nothing. Like I go through everybody's stats and then I watch film, and then I try to marry the two to try to like explain certain parts of guys like their their, their games and their overall makeup and stuff. Brian Robinson legit. Like if I went to go back and I and I remember this name. I was making notes before I went to the senior bowl and the damn name I wrote down was, was sexier Alfred blue. That's all I see, man. I see just a guy. I see a volume back. He could be a goal line back for a team. Maybe he walks into early opportunity um, at the very top end range of his outcomes. Maybe you're looking at he's Damian Harris. He gets an early down roll and he gets touchdowns, you know, that does have a place in, in, in fantasy. Sure. Is that going to be something that we're like, you know, a team walks away after three years and they say, wow, I'm really glad I spent a third or fourth round pick on this guy. Eh, probably not. You know, so they're, they're uh, in tier three for me. Tier four is Jerome Ford, Sincere McCormick, and Tyler Beatty. Um, and I haven't ranked all these different guys because there's still a ton of them that I have sure. to go back and watch. I have to parse through their numbers um, as I get through all of these prospect profiles and stuff. But that that that's at least my early tiers. Um, there's a few other guys that 
that check various boxes. My furry alarm system is going off right now. Um, there's a few other guys that check a few of the boxes here that I have ranked up on Fantasy Pros right now um, that, that check the boxes from a size, um, uh, production, maybe a speed metric, things like that. Like Ty Chandler, I think you could put him in that tier four. Um, I don't think that he's going to be drafted high. But is he a guy that he checks some boxes like he's got enough athleticism? He's got some production. He has the size where an NFL team could look at him and say, all right, we're going to take a late shot on him. Could he get an opportunity? Sure. You know, so that that's at least my early rankings based off of a lot of the different guys or I've watched a handful of games. Um, but really, uh, that, that top tier guys, the only ones that I've fully scouted and written on my profiles for so far. Yeah, I, I so you're pretty similar to me because I my tier one is Hall and Walker, tier two is Spiller and White, tier three is Brian Robinson, Rashad White, Tyler Algier, and Beatty, and then my tier four is Jerome Ford, James Cook, Pierre Strong, Damian Pierce, and then my tier five is Kyron Williams, Zonovan Knight, and Kennedy Brooks. That, that, that's what that's my yep. basically my top fifteen is where I have them. Yeah, Kevin, why don't, why don't you talk a little bit about Brian Robinson because it sounds like you have him a little bit higher then Debro and I would have him. I, I'm going to guess probably, probably part of your argument is that he's going to get capital. He can pass protect. He has a role as a short down back. So he's going to have a, a role. Do we love it? Is he just a, um, you know, a back that gets three and a half yards of carry and scores four touchdowns in a season and that's it maybe, but, but talk to us a little bit uh, why you have him there. Cause that's what was that tier three top of tier three, maybe. He's just in tier three. I don't, I don't really have him ranked. I probably, if I was ranking it, I, I would probably have a look. But at the, but at the same time, it's kind of what I talked about. Like we can think what we want about some of these guys, but initially, it's what the NFL is going to tell us, right? So you, you can you can hate Brian Robinson, you can love because I wasn't high on Brian Robinson. Like and, and when this thing first started, I probably had Brian Robinson in tier four, right? Yep. Same. But as more information has come out, it's, it's come out the NFL likes him, and the, and then it sounds like he very well could be a day two guy. And if he is. Like, what choice do you have? Now, unless it's in a just terrible landing spot, sure. And you could be hard-headed and think that he's not going to hit. But as we know as running backs, as long as they get the damn opportunity, there's really all that matters. Like, if, if they get opportunity, then that, that's all you need. Like, they don't have to be good. They don't have to be elite running backs to, to get opportunity, right? We see a lot of guys who get that early opportunity. Now, maybe they, they, they fizzle out after a couple of years and they're gone, and that's fine. But at least for year one, year two, they're probably going to get as much opportunity as they can get. And so if that happens, like it doesn't matter if you love Brian Robinson or not, that you have, you have to trust what other what, what the NFL is doing, right? Because that's all that really matters at this point. And so as more as I've heard with with Brian Robinson and that that teams really like him, and you know, and, and it makes sense because he's kind of that prototypical running back, big physical running back, 6'2", 225. Um, you know, he ran a four, five, three, which isn't terrible for a guy, his size, you know, uh, he only had 8% target share, but, you know, still had a 35%, uh, 35 catches, 296 yards. So a functional pass catcher. And so I can see a team falling in love with him and, and, and wanting to bring him in. And if that happens, it doesn't matter, you know, really what I think, if, if I think that he's good, hashtag good or not, at least for the first couple of years, he's going to get the opportunity. And so that's why I've kind of moved him up a little bit, um, and, you know, why I've tried to be a little more level-headed about where I have these guys because what's the point of saying I love Tyler Beatty? I'm going to put him in Tier 2 because I love Tyler Beatty, but, I, but I'm not an idiot, and I know Tyler Beatty's not going in the second round where these other guys are going. And so, you know, as much as I love Tyler Beatty, uh, 
I can't put him there, and I have to put Brian Robinson where I think he's going to go. And I did the same thing with wide receivers. I know that we're not talking about wide receivers tonight, but I don't love Chris Olave. I haven't loved him this entire time, but I know he's going to be a first-round pick. So it doesn't fucking matter what I think about Chris Olave when he's going to be a first-round pick. You just described how I feel about Traylon Burks. I know he's going to be a first-round pick, but I am not. I... I've started and definitely lower. And, and I, folks, so welcome to our part two uh, wide receivers conversation. No, I, I, I don't want to, because we've already been going for an hour and a half, but like, and I was going to save this for next week whenever we have Jesse Reeves on. We're going to talk wide receivers. Oh, you got Jesse coming to the house. I want to steal If you want to jump on next week, you're more than welcome, bud. <laughs> you let me know. Oh, you, you, man. You always have a spot here. So if you want to come on next I week, I might have take you up on that, brother. But so I, I was going to say this nugget for then, but like again, I've been paying these guys. And uh, Marcus Mosier was talking about Traylon Burks. That teams that uh, there's a, there's quite a few teams that think he might be the next Nikhil Harry. That he's not. Uh, that, that, that this elite uh, that this elite prospect that we all think that he is. Because if you remember when Nikhil Harry was coming out, everybody loved Nikhil Harry, right? Or a lot of people loved Nikhil Harry and thought he was a can't miss prospect and all this stuff. And we, as we know now. That's not the case. He, and he got first round pick capital, but it's starting to sound like that. Maybe, maybe we might want to chill out a little bit on as much as we love to kill Harry. And so again, I've made some changes to my, to, to, to with this, some of this information that's been coming out. I've made some changes and it's the same with Christian Watson. Everybody loves Christian Watson, but it sounds like he might be a third round pick, which isn't terrible for him, but people are putting him as like, he's going to be a first round pick. And it doesn't sound like the NFL agrees. I don't think he's, I don't think he's going to be a first round pick. I think he's going to go in the second though. And so the, the, that's some of the stuff that I, I've been trying to do. And that, that was kind of my point was, was with like Crystal Lava and stuff like that. So oh, yeah, man. And like, water series. and that's, that's really what it comes down to. Like we have to understand. And, and I think that you brought up uh, a really, really good point that, there are so many people, like, I will never, you will never see me out on social media, and people are going to call me out, tag me, whatever you want, old take, expose me, whatever, I don't give a shit. You will never see me out there talking about, I got sources, baby, I got all this intel, like, that. that's never going to be me, and I'm not going to pretend like I do, okay? I talk to beat writers and things like that, that's fine. I don't have sources inside of NFL front offices, but what we do need to understand and you listen to people that do actually actually not the what twitter thinks but actually has nfl sources and we have to adjust to certain things like this so yeah perfect point about brian robinson i am not high on brian robinson i just compared him to freaking alfred blue i am not high on him at all but if a team is going to draft him in the third or fourth round you better believe that i'm going to adjust at least a little bit in my ranks am i going to bump him up to tier one no. Am I going to bump him up maybe inside of whatever tier that I have him to the top of it? Possibly. Or I'm going to bump him up to the bottom end of another tier. That's also possible too. That he might not be a fantastic running back, a great prospect, blow the damn doors off. But there's also something to be said about some of these teams. They're saying, okay, here's the home run swing. Here's a ground rule double. We know what we're going to get out of Brian Robinson. He's going to come in from day one. He's going to work his ass off. He's going to be able to handle 15 to 20 carries. He's not going to get our quarterback killed whenever we go on passing downs. You know, like, he's going to be able to handle the volume. He's a big running back. He's going to, when we need five yards, he, he's going to get us five yards. When we need five, six yards, he might get us seven yards. You know, that is a thing. Now, is it sexy to Dynasty Twitter? Is it sexy to everybody out there and, 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 and what we want? And could it be a home run swing? 
Probably not. But the other thing about it is not everything, and I brought up this up earlier, not everything has to be a freaking home run swing. You can still win games with ground rule doubles, people. That, that's that's how we should title this. It's it's you can win with ground rule doubles because I think that that's a perfect way to talk about a lot of these guys. Um, just to kind of put the full you know three sixty on Brian Robinson. While I, I hear all of that, and I think that that teams will show us what they think about him. We do know that teams mess up. We do know that teams miss, um, and so that is also a thing to be considered. And I'd say the one thing with Brian Robinson is that when teams draft him higher, I don't think they're drafting him with fantasy in mind, right? Peyton Barber is still in the NFL and still gets starting snaps because he pass blocks. He never fumbles, literally never fumbles, and he can get you three yards if you tell him to. That's why Peyton Barber got carries over uh, Antonio Gibson. That's why he got carries in Tampa Bay. It's because he never fumbles. He can pass block and he'll get you three yards. And that's what I see with Brian Robinson. So 360 of it, I agree with Kev that I think he could get that draft capital and he could be on an NFL team and have that role. On the fantasy side, that's still why I have him ranked low because I don't see high production outside of maybe he's a goal line back and gets six touchdowns in a year. So we probably spent too much time on Brian Robinson, but I just wanted to kind of bring that home where I think you're both correct in that he can get that capital. He can be important to NFL teams, maybe not still important to your fantasy team. I think the other big takeaway here is you can't get so damn married to your takes and how you feel about a player that you're not willing to freaking adjust, yep. you know? And, and, and again, I'm going to shade this to like, because we can, the other thing about this is, is just like NFL franchises get shit wrong all the time. We get stuff wrong all the damn time. We get more things wrong a lot of different times than we get I them right. Yeah. You know, well, you know, and, and not, not everybody, not everybody's a showdown, a showdown, uh, you know, winner like Kev. So we can't all be living that life, but for everybody else out in the space, it's what happens, man. You know, like we can get things wrong. Like, but, you know, not to steer this to wide receivers again, one of the players that I was so freaking low on last year and, and I, and I crapped all over the fact that he was a first round pick Kadarius Tony, he showed he could play in the damn NFL. Who do you think I'm going out and trying to get in every damn dynasty league right now and saying, okay, well I was wrong. I should have invested. Like I faded him everywhere. I, you know, I was like, Oh, the NFL doesn't know anything. And then he gets out there and he plays. And in the little limited sample we got, he played really well. You know, so it's all to say that, like, you have to be able to adjust when we get new information. And you can't get married into all this stuff. Like, I watched him. I hate him. I don't care if the NFL. I know better. No, no, you, 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 you might not. You probably don't. You know, so it's okay if you're wrong. Just, just take the L and, and pick him up. Trade for him. It's fine. You, you, you will be fine. He was, uh, I mean, it, and I mean... And he was what like a second round dynasty uh, rookie draft pick last year for a lot of people. It, it, that where he fell. I mean, even yeah. despite the fact that he was a first round pick, did, yeah. did he still go in like the second round of rookie drafts? Mid yep. to late second. Yep. Yeah, which is crazy for a first round the guy who goes in the first round. Of we the get draft. all this stuff wrong year after year, and it's usually one or two players that where the narrative is like, "Oh, he's not that good." Like. Was anybody like when Justin Herbert came into the league? Was anybody like just like screaming in rookie drafts oh, no. and saying, "Oh, I need him!" Or Josh but Allen. now everybody's like, "Holy shit, Justin Herbert's amazing!" <laughs> oh my god, you know, like we get stuff wrong all the damn time, man. It's okay. Like we can all 
You know, you don't have to pretend like you're you're right all the all the freaking time. Well, outside of Kev, but you don't have to pretend you're like you're right all the damn time. It's fine if we get it wrong. You know what we should do? Like, we really like for like uh, fantasy analysts and stuff that people that do this. Like, we should have like like our own dating profiles of what kind of people we are. Because like when he says like stop swinging for the fence, hit him where they ain't. That like I can't do that. It's not in my DNA. Like, I am all upside all the time. Like, this is the only thing I care about. Like, I, I do not care if you can be a, a, a you know, back-end RB2 or something like that. And that's your career. Fine it's a GPP fantasy. life, bro. It's a People GPP love it, life. right? I cannot. And so that's why it's all I focus on is, like, it's, it's really – I sometimes I get too hyper-focused on, like, athleticism and, you know, and all this other stuff and, like, landing – or stuff like this with, with these guys. All I care about is a player's ceiling, right? I do not care about anything else, like Antonio Gibson. I've loved Antonio Gibson since he was coming out because of everything that he was with his athleticism and everything else, landing spot. And I to this day, I still I still, like, he's going to be a top-five running back this year. Right, like, and I, it, I can't get it out of me. That's all I care about is stealing. I don't care about what whatever your floor can be. Where I think there's other people that I feel like care far more about their floor, and you know they, they factor in the ceiling, but they care more about a player's floor. Where I don't care if your if your floor is zero, like I don't care. I but if your if your ceiling is a hundred, I'm about you. Like I, we're gonna fall in love with each other because that that's that's who I care about. And I think you, that's a little bit different because not every because I think analysts I think everybody's a little bit different in terms of what the risk tolerance is and what they're looking for you know in terms of that stuff and so whatever like my point was is you know I guess you know maybe we should have somewhere so people understand what they're getting into what they're getting into bed to when they're listening to people when they yeah. do this because we're all different right we all have we all have different uh, different takes I guess yeah, yeah that's I mean that's right. I believe that's why you're you're a George Pickens guy, and I'm sure we'll hear that on the next episode. Oh, I'm a swing for the fences. George guy. Yep, love George Pickens. But uh, anyways, with that being said, I guess do you guys have anything else? Like, is there anyone else that that you guys want to throw out? If not, I feel like we kind of covered everybody, at least the, for the guys that matter the most. I think for right now. But do you guys have anybody else? The only player that I feel like I I, I jumped over it and I mentioned him, um, and and. He's in the tier three for me, but we didn't talk about him a ton. I still really like Damian Pierce, man. Yeah, he he name. checks so many damn boxes. I thought he was going to run faster than a four six, but if you this is a guy at Senior Bowl, legit in one on ones and pass catching drills, he's smoking linebackers. Like I think he legit can be a three down back, or if nothing else, like he could play in the passing game because his routes were crisp good short area agility and i think the dude i mean the guy's rocked up like he has the size to be able to be a three down back he's a guy that i still like the nfl doesn't sound like like they love him a, a ton maybe he gets into the fourth round and stuff i still really like damian pierce man i'm gonna take some shots on him i'm i'm still gonna invest because i think that I think that he's still going to have a role in the NFL. Maybe he's not the workhorse and stuff like that, but his pass game chops and his overall skill set, I, I still believe in him. You know, it's it's funny how you bring that up and, and listening to the analysis. Damian Pierce is all tape, no analytics, right? If you're an analytics guy, you don't think twice about him. If you're a tape guy, you're like, damn, this 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 cat can go. This cat can be all all of what you want. But he doesn't check. You, you said he kind of checks a lot of boxes. Any 
tape thing that you want checks it any analytical thing and that's the knock on damien pierce late breakout age doesn't do anything production wise for you late breakout age you know all those things so that's where you'll have kind of the, the budding of the heads is that uh, i like damien pierce from what i've seen on tape there's obviously tons of questions production wise you know the rushing share wise all of those things so um, he does do a lot of things well, run super hard, contact balance, all that fun stuff. He does deserve to be talked about. I'm, I'm sad we didn't get to him more, but he's in that tier three. He is at the bottom of my tier three, um, but he is in a tier three for me. In every one-on-one drill, and this is, and I don't want to get like too much hand in the dirt, boots on the ground, whatever, like in every one-on-one drill at freaking senior bowl, and it was pass protection. It was one-on-one passing drills versus linebackers, corners. Dude was winning. And you see every – and I got a chance to interview him and stuff, so maybe that's why he's a little bit closer to my heart. But he's a damn dog, man. Like, he is – and I I rarely use that overused freaking phrase. He is one of those guys that I think he is going to come in from day one and he is going to work his ass off for an NFL team. Would you see that kind of stuff too? Those are the types of players like the Austin Ecklers that come in and legit like mm-hmm. he built he Austin Eckler was a self-made man. He legit like came from UDFA land and worked his ass off and outworked dudes and climbed his way up a freaking depth chart in the NFL. Damian Pierce has the whole entire feel of a player that's like that to me. No, absolutely. He feels he feels like he feels like somewhere in a mix between Jordan Howard and DJ Dallas for me, like I think that, like, that's where my I comp for him was Pierre Thomas. That's who I saw when I watched film, like like a, a, a Pierre Thomas that could that can maybe take more of the early down stuff. And then, I mean his analytics stuff. I mean, if you're like yeah, if you're looking at efficiency, I mean he was 34th in yards after contact per attempt. Yeah, and he was 10th in yards per route run. I mean, yeah. so he checks the boxes from efficiency, dude. He really checks it. I mean, obviously the the other stuff, yards after contact. Miss tackles for stuff. He's not going to, because he never got opportunity. But that mm-hmm. stuff doesn't really matter as much because we see a lot of players that, that come from the, you know, that come from college who just don't get a ton of opportunity for whatever reason, whether that's the, whether that's the, the way the program is. I mean, I know that's what Georgia does. That's the remote. They are not, they're going to have a rotation. And it's yeah. what they tell their guys when they come in. It's like, hey, we're not going to overuse you. You're not going to come in and get 300 touches a year because we want you guys to go on to the NFL, right? Like we've seen Todd Gurley, Nick Chubb, Sony Michelle. Damien, or not Damien Harris, but, you know, all these guys that have come from Georgia, and that's what they do. Like, they're not going to run these guys into a ground. So people try to, that, especially people that are just getting into this and don't understand that stuff. So they see this, like, oh, well, he didn't do anything in college. I don't want any part of him. But that, that's literally the, what, the, what the college does. Like, there's a lot of colleges that are embracing this stuff, and it's a selling point for them to these running backs. That, hey, we're not going to make you sit here and have eight, 900 touches by the time you, uh, by the time you go on to the next level, you know, we're going to, we're going to preserve you. And so you can have a you know, longer NFL career. And so I think some of the stuff like with David Pierce, I don't care what his production was in college. I don't care that he, uh, that, that, that he'd only got, you know, the most he ever got was 106 carries in a, in a year. I don't care. Cause I have no idea why that is. I don't know why, what, what happened with Florida. Florida was a terrible program. Florida has been a terrible program mm-hmm. for, for quite a while now. Like and so they've been through head coaches and everything else. So I really don't care uh, what people think with that stuff. I do think Damian Pierce can be an interesting prospect, though. Yeah, he he's a player that I, I I if we're talking about making bets on players and stuff like that, like betting on a guy's talent plus his mentality plus his skill set and his overall makeup, Damian Pierce is is a guy that I'm willing to push the chips in on. Definitely. All right. 
We've been on for an hour and 41 minutes. I thought we were going to do less, much less than this, but here we are, hour 40. But I think it was a really a lot of really good conversations, high-level conversations. You know, it wasn't just strictly uh, prospect talk. So, D-Bro, truly honored having you back on. You know, I, I absolutely love – you're like my favorite guest to ever have on uh, just because we can, we can talk about it. You, you know, you do have some good takes from time to time. I will give you that. <laughs> <laughs> That's Kev's way of saying I love you. I love you too, Kev. Yeah, and so, anyways, but I, I really would like if you want to come on next week with Jesse, I would love to have you. It'd be an awesome time with uh, you know because Jesse's supposed to be on next week. We're going to talk wide receivers, and so which I'm happy that Jesse is people that aren't familiar with his work. Uh, he just he, he really uh, he left went to Twitch. Uh, I followed him over there, so we're gonna have a good conversation about mm-hmm. that too. Uh, excellent work. He decided to come back for fantasy football. He knows his stuff. He's very smart, very very sharp. So love Jesse. So we'd love to have you back on next week if you want, if, if you want to come on. We'll I get do. that scheduled up, and we'll be back this next week talking about wide receivers. So again, you can follow Debro. He's at Fantasy Pros at Debro Score FFB. Does great work most of the time until he talks about some <laughs> other guys like like Taysom Hill. And then and and then you have Robbie. Appreciate you jumping on with us, Robbie. We had to go to the bullpen because Cody was sick or something. I don't know who whatever was going on there. But hopefully Cody will be back next week, you know, to uh, for all the takes as well. But I appreciate everybody checking out. If you guys are here, you haven't already, hit that like and subscribe button. We will see you guys very shortly. Are Have you a good listening? Night. Bye. Damn. Uh. Yeah. Uh. Yeah. Uh. Yeah.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.